Hi, it's Mike. And Angela. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about nakedness and the image of God. Welcome back to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, Angela, this week we come to the eighth word in the ten words that we're exploring throughout the Bible, and the eighth word is naked. So it's an interesting topic for today. <laughs> you know, um, I know all of our minds are going in one direction, but before we do that, uh, let's think about even in the food industry how the word naked is used. You know, naked can be used in the food industry to talk about something that is completely natural. It's not souped up with antibiotics or sugar or other kind of additives. It's, in a sense, regular, plain. Uh, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, and so, in a sense, there's this understanding that is out there that things that are naked are pure, right? Uh, yes. But at the same time, once we start thinking about it in terms of the human experience, that's when a lot of the Bible and the culture actually starts to help us reframe that, or at least forces us to reframe that. You know, <laughs> when we were talking about this word, this chapter, mm -hmm. this episode, uh, I kept thinking about an, an old iron and wine song. That's a band. And the song is called Naked As We Came. Uh, and if you listen to the song, it kind of conveys this sense of naked innocence that we all have as humans. We're all sort of born into this world, um, you know, of course, naked, but also sort of innocent and, you know, a blank slate. Uh, there are things that are uh, within us, in our DNA and probably in our plans um, or the plans that are going to come through us. But at the same time, Again, we're that blank slate where there's so much possibility. It also, the song, seems to convey that at the end of our lives, we're going to return to something like that. Uh, that back then, the kind of life, the kind of person we were, is kind of how we're going to end up. That we're going to be back to being innocent and open and transparent and you know, that there's a, there's a circle of life, if you will, that uh, we experience as human beings. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of something that was going on in my mind through that song. But still, this word is a complicated word. It is. It is way more complicated than you would think. Um, yeah, and I think all that is a perfect lead-in to what we're going to be talking about in regards to Adam and Eve and what happened to them. Um, Spoo has as the key verse for this chapter, Genesis 3.11, which is the moment when God says to Adam and Eve or asks them, who told you that you were naked? Um, because that is the moment when there was this indication to God that something was wrong, right? There's something has changed in their relationship and our relationship. Uh, but if you back up into that second chapter, we read that Adam and Eve were naked and yet felt no shame. 
um, there was this innocence and this purity and this vulnerability that was happening between them. Uh, and so the Bible does make it a point to let us know, you know, that they, they were naked. Uh, they did not have clothes. They didn't want clothes, right? Um, and, and this was a um, pure, sweet moment. It, it's God's garden. Everything is as it should be. And so Adam and Eve had no secrets. They knew everything that there was to know about one another. Their relationships knew no superficiality. You know, you were talking about souped up, right? <laughs> they were just bare with one another, right? Uh, they were at perfect ease with each other and with God. There was nothing inauthentic, only that transparency. But uh, no matter how intimately you know a person, there's always more to learn. And intimacy requires an attitude of curiosity and an appetite for deeper discovery. And that's human-to-human -human relationships, and that's our relationship with God. We mm -hmm. should have that curiosity and that appetite to understand uh, who God is more and more as we grow in our relationship with God. But in the garden, for that one sweet, pure moment, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And their full disclosure to one another, we can assume, because it was God's garden, uh, deepened with each passing day. They appreciated in uh, each other that they were created uniquely by God for a purpose. And uh, they saw in one another the artistic expression of the master creator. And that's such a good reminder for us even today that, that we are created by the master creator and that every day uh, we walk by masterpieces. And every time we look into the mirror, we are seeing one of God's masterpieces. And so the issue is not the worth of the people around us, but the challenge is our ability to recognize the worth of all people and for our eyes to agree with reality as God sees it. Not as we see it, but as God sees it and as God sees us. That, that just reminds me of the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Mm -hmm. You know, that this, this idea that you know, we look with our eyes, we, we, we look at things and we, we put them into boxes. We look at people and we, we label them in some way. And, you know, God yeah. is, is the one that sees completely and sees fully. And if, if God is our vision, it changes the way we see things. And hopefully it changes the way we see people. Yeah. You know, um, you're talking about us being masterpieces. And it makes me think back uh, to some of the things that I remember reading about in, in, in youth ministry. And one of the things uh, that was going on in the 90s and early 2000s was um, helping young people or asking youth directors and youth pastors to help young people understand that they are image bearers. You know, because a lot of times when we're young, and <laughs> if we're honest, yep. many of us still <laughs> struggle with this. But especially when we're young, we don't always like the, the body that we have been given, the hair that we've been given, the nose. You know, you just go through all the list and you think about this is what I would change or I hate this about who I am or my body. And, and so one of the things that they were always talking about is this idea that you were made in God's image. You know, you're a masterpiece, right? Mm -hmm, right. But you're, you're made in God's image. And, 
you don't have to always like everything about yourself, but you have to understand that this is who you are, at least right now. And, and you know, you're not a, you're not a finished product. There's a lot of growth that will go on within who you are and, and what you look like. But again, you need to be thinking about that your body and your life are opportunities to bear God's image into the world. You know, the Imago Dei, the image of God. We're not just people. We're not just human beings. We are human beings, but as human beings, we are also signs of God's existence and artistry. And so that's one thing that I think that, you know, we've got to go back to and uh, stop worrying so much uh, about every little thing and start saying, this is who I am. You know, we're going to talk about this some more, but this is who I am. And I am proud of, of who I am. And I am going to let God's light shine through me as I am. You know, what's that other hymn? Just as I am without mm-hmm. one plea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, if we go back to curiosity, I think this is such an important thing that, you know, we become so busy or so distracted that we stop, you know, looking out and seeing God's artistry in the world. And I think about how, you know, when I was young, um, when I was on a long, long trip, um, you know, I would be bored. (laughs) I would be so terribly bored. I remember one time we were going to Florida and we were in one of those station wagons that had the back seat facing backwards. And so, you know, we were just watching all the cars behind us. And, and um, anyway, there was nothing to do. And so what do you do when there's nothing to do? You come up with games and there's the license plate game and all that kind of stuff. But at least, you know, we, we did pay attention to some of the scenery as we go by. You know, nowadays, what I hear from parents is that the kids are always looking at a screen or watching a movie. And so they don't see the scenery as they go by. And You know, I'm afraid that we're becoming less curious about the world around us because we're tuning in more to the world uh, in us Mm -hmm. or the 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 sort of, um, you know, uh, entertainment world that we want to plug into. And maybe it's a lesson for us to start thinking about being more curious about people and about the way they're wired, what they think and why they think that way. Because it's possible that we might go from feeling that someone is an enemy to maybe being someone who doesn't agree with me, but I understand where they are and why they are the way they are. And this goes back to another cultural reference. I've been watching this TV show called Ted Lasso about this um, chronically optimistic Midwestern United States uh, football coach who goes and, and coaches in, um, uh, in um, England, but he's coaching their football, soccer. And nobody thinks it's going to go well. Nobody uh, gives him uh, really a chance. And one of the things that he says in an episode is that, you know, when everybody else was ignoring him or saying that he wasn't good enough, nobody stopped to ask why. Nobody was curious, he said as to who I am and what I've been doing, they just kind of went ahead and judged him. And usually those people judged him wrongly, he says. And the reason that they did is because they were not curious. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that that's one thing that we have really got to think through is how do we become more curious about how God's artistry is at work in different people? That takes a lot of effort and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, really patience. Because scientists will tell you when they are studying something, they don't just study it for a few minutes. They are patient. They observe and observe and observe, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so I think that's part of what we've got to do is to, to, especially those close to us, to be curious about them and to think through who they are and why God made them that way. I'll tell one more story. And I think that that um, is, is also... Um, something that we understand if, if we're image bearers, right? If we're bearing the image of God, then we've got to be ready to be who we are, right? And not try to hide. Yes. And so, you know, what we've got to learn is that vulnerability. Be open about our God giftedness, not about bragging. In a way, it's kind of pride, but it's not, you know, self-centered pride. It's, it's God pride that God you know, has made me this way and I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm, I'm glad that God did this. So there's the openness about our God giftedness, but there's also an openness about our shortcomings, our sinfulness and the ways in which we get things so terribly wrong. But it's difficult for us, most of us, because we're afraid about what people are going to think about our true self. Will we be accepted or will we be shut out? Um, you know, a lot of times we in the church try to hide our true selves. You know, we're maybe more ourselves away from the church than we are at church, which is a shame um, because we're not allowing ourselves to be transformed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think that we we kind of hide uh, the, the our, our brokenness because we're afraid we're going to be labeled or, again, rejected. Um, one time. Uh, when I was in a, a, another church, we had a Sunday where we allowed people that we had talked to beforehand who were honest about some of the things that they were struggling with, whether it be, you know, depression or uh, self-worth or, you know, some people said that they had been struggling with a, a nicotine, nicotine addiction and smoking and everything. Mm-hmm. And what they did was is that they went backstage that morning and they got a piece of cardboard and they wrote that sin or that struggle on one side. And on the other side, they wrote what it was that God was doing in their lives to help lead them towards healing or lead them towards understanding that they are an image bearer if they, you know, obviously didn't have a lot of self-worth. And so what was kind of cool is, is that in the worship service, these people came out and put that negative vulnerable statement out for everybody in the church to see. Now, this wasn't our idea. We had seen it on a YouTube video. But what I heard afterwards from people in the audience, people in the congregation was that it was one of the most powerful moments they've seen because not only did they see people being vulnerable and being honest and open, which they don't ever see in church, right? But they also saw that people were showing evidence that God was at work in their lives and it gave them hope that God was at work in their lives too. So, you know, this idea of nakedness, even though we are gonna focus on the negative aspects, there's this 
also sort of like you're talking about the idea that Adam and Eve were naked and they didn't have shame. They were open. There were no secrets. And it led to, before the fall, Mm -hmm. it led to more harmony, more union, more connection than they ever could have had without God's designing it. Yeah. Well, so then that moment comes, right? Uh, And we have to ask ourselves, how did that nakedness, how did that vulnerability move for Adam and Eve from being a virtue to being a vice? Um, Louis Grizzard is a comedian, uh, and he is so funny to me. Uh, He's not with us anymore, but um, he had a quote about nakedness that I... Every time I see the word naked, this is, I think, of Louis Grizzard. He said, if you are naked, it means you don't have any clothes on. But if you are naked, Southern naked, it means you don't have any clothes on and you are up to something. (laughs) Uh, And so what changed for Adam and Eve? uh, That they no longer wish to be seen as they were originally created, were created. Uh, Well, they were up to something, right? They bent the rules of the garden and they broke relationship with God. And both of them, because of that, began to feel the guilt that resulted from that wrong action. They experienced shame as they became aware that they were not as perfect as they had hoped they were, maybe. Um, And so, no doubt, Adam and Eve felt both guilt and shame over what they had done. And their actions affected their relationship with one another, and they were, their relationship with God was affected by that guilt and shame as well. And isn't that the way sin is? You know, when when we sin, um, it, it it has the capability and often does stain every part of our lives. You know, we, we think that we might make an error or a sin in one area of our lives, but then this other area is going to be fine. But what we often find is, is over time that sin, you know, corrupts more and more and more of us than we even realize. And often it is happening, you know, off our own radar. Um, <laughs> The theological term is total depravity, that we have no no resistance to this. We have no uh, ability to escape this. Simply put, sin is not going to stop, and it goes completely viral throughout us, and it sticks to everything it touches. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't outright intend to destroy their relationship with God, but that's what happens, and often... Sin is like that. It's, it's one little error, one little white lie that ends up bringing down the whole house of cards. Adam's relationship to his work and Eve's relationship to her future were also stained. And what does it lead them to? This sin, this, this staining of who they are, it forces them, without even thinking about it, to be, as you mentioned, shameful, to be to be so ashamed of what they had done and who they had become and how they had damaged their relationship with God that they end up hiding. And isn't that what happens when we sin or we feel guilty? Our instinct Mm -hmm. is to hide. You know, we try to hide things. We try to hide 
and, and you know, get rid of the paper trail. We try to delete the history on our, our web browser. Adam and Eve chose to cover themselves and hide, and they do that by covering themselves with fig leaves and also hiding somewhere in the garden, hoping that God would not find them. Yeah. My little brother, Chris, when, when he was, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven, he would sneak food. And, you know, whether it was a little Debbie or candy or whatever, and instead of putting the wrapper in the trash can where it would have probably gone unnoticed, he put all the wrappers behind his bedroom door. And so, you know, my mom and dad always knew exactly what he had taken, but it was his guilt that made him act that, you know, he wanted to hide what he had done. And as a child, that was the way to do it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, even as adults, we learn to, to cover over our own inferiority and flaws and mistakes. And, uh, you know, we try to wear the, the most uh, in fashion clothes and, and have all the latest accessories. We uh, drive the newest and the fastest cars. We have the job titles and the salaries that go with them. And we spend a lot of time uh, trying to make our online identities look uh, a lot better maybe than, mm -hmm. than we are. Um, but in the end, we do well to acknowledge the naked truth of who we are and who we are not. And I think that's something the older you get, I think you have this desire to be known for who you are. Um, life is best lived within the reality of being who God created us to be rather than who others expect us to be. That is so true. And yet we still fight it all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we've already learned a lot of lessons already about understanding ourselves as uh, being made in God's image and looking at the positive idea of, of nakedness in terms of transparency and um, being an authentic self. But we've also learned a little bit about sin and shame and how um, a lot of our understanding of nakedness is connected to the things that happen when we're dealing with that sin and that guilt and that shame hiding ourselves and trying to hide what we've done. Before we explore more about this eighth word, why don't we take a break and we'll, we're going to turn it over to JT and Stanley for a word about a highlighted ministry. Festival of the Three Kings is an annual mission project here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church where we help families in our community experience the joy of Christmas by providing Christmas gifts to children. We're asking this year that people would help our ministry by providing money for the Festival of Three Kings. And what you can do is either bring money by the church or you can write a check and make it out to Bluff Park United Methodist Church and in the memo line, write down the Festival of Three Kings and we'll make sure all that money gets put towards helping these families. If you have any questions, feel free to call the church and we will help you in any way that we can. Well, we're back and we're ready to talk more about nakedness, sin, covering up our shame, hiding the truth from others. You know, a, a lot of time what we're dealing with is a sense of shame related to God and a sense of shame related to people. And the idea that if I do something bad enough, people that I love will stop loving me. That fear of rejection is, is really, really strong in our lives. 
you know, Spoo in his book uh, mentions uh, that as a pastor, um, he decided to bury a lot of his shortcomings as a pastor and try to portray himself as some sort of super Christian. He, he admits to not being his authentic self uh, because he felt like he was doing a certain job. And, you know, you and I both have gone through all the ethics training in the United Methodist Church, which is, yeah. you know, pretty good training. And, and we do have to do it every three or four years or something like that. And one of the things we often hear is your congregation is not the place to dump all your dirty laundry. You know, they're not your therapist, right? <laughs> so there is a, a level of separation between a pastor and a church. You know, we're, we don't need to portray ourselves as perfect because we ain't. Um, but we also um, need to have appropriate friendships with other people who we can use to be open with and have accountability partners there. But, you know, what Spoo says basically is that he was trying to avoid any kind of vulnerability with his congregation. And, you know, he was, he was not being his authentic self. He said he wore a smile when he wasn't in a smiling mood. He says he became, in a sense, a punching bag, uh, my words, um, because he was allowing other people to constantly share their negativity and their criticisms. And he was just taking it and taking it and taking it. And he never felt free to share his view or to challenge them. And so in a way, he admits that he was hiding. Um, he was not embracing who he was. He was not embracing his image bearingness. And he was right there with Adam and Eve in a sense. Not that he was covering up uh, super sins, but just he was trying to pretend that he was something other than he was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there comes that moment of reckoning, right, where we have to to fess up to who we really are. Mm. And uh, we see that uh, with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, when I have read that, I, I have thought about that evening, evening breeze. It just sounds so nice. And mm-hmm. and sometimes when I'm sitting outside on my front porch and I hear the wind move through the, the leaves on the trees, I will think to myself, oh, God is, God is walking in the garden, you know. But uh, John Walton, who is a, a theologian and, and scholar, says that 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 interpretation is kind of wrong. <laughs> uh, that what Adam and Eve heard was a terrifying sound. Uh, the sound of uh, a storm wind. Uh, you know, we've had hurricanes, uh, several of them in the past few months, and mm-hmm. we know what that wind whipping around the corner sounds like and how terrifying that can be. Uh, and so this is what Adam and Eve heard, and no wonder they were were hiding uh, and did not want to be found by God. But there's a series of questions that God asked in that moment as a way to, to get to the bottom of what they had done. And I think they are they're good questions for all of us. 
the first one God asks is, where are you? And of course, we have talked about how we hide. But even though we hide, God searches for us. Um, God will never cease his search for us. We have probably all played hide and seek with a two or three year old child. Mm. And we have noticed how when they hide, sometimes they will just simply put their hands over their eyes, right? Because, or, or they'll just hide their head in some way. Because to them, if they can't see us, we can't see them. Right. And, and Spoo says hiding from God is as effective as a child covering her own eyes, thinking she has made herself invisible to her parent. Um, no, no matter how tight we close our eyes to God's existence and affection, God persists in his search until we give up our hiding ways. The second question is, who told you that you were naked? And Walton says a fair interpretation of this question is, why are you letting other voices besides mine define who you are? Mm. And, uh, and that's part of why we hide, right? We, we want to belong. We want to be accepted by others. And so we listen to all those competing voices uh, instead of, of listening to the voice of the master creator, who, who created us so perfectly and so well. The third question is, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And of course, the short answer is yes. Uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And there was a lot of hemming and hawing that went on. But uh, God showed how merciful God is. And he allows them to confess what they did. And then God also shows how gracious he is. Uh, you mentioned that they, they use the fig leaves to hide. Uh, in this moment, God is gracious by taking away the fig leaves and replacing them with animal skins, mm -hmm. which had to be much more comfortable I would assume <laughs> than so. those brittle fig leaves, right? Well, as we move towards the New Testament, um, and really throughout the Old Testament, we find that nakedness tracks very similarly to how it is in Genesis 3. Um, one thing we noticed is that, um, you know, when, when we are naked, things usually lead in the wrong direction, you know, away from uh, honoring God with our bodies and, and doing something mm -hmm. otherwise. But, but as we move into the New Testament, we find that there's a, there's a switch in a way towards what do we do for people who are naked? Um, think about Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus is, is teaching a parable and he's talking about, in a sense, the future when he r returns and he, he, gets the righteous together and he's like, okay, good job. You, uh, you, you did the right thing. And they think, well, wait a minute. When did we do these things? And mm -hmm. one of the things is when I was naked, you gave me clothing. And um, this, this, of course, is tied to not literally giving Jesus clothing, but giving clothing to the least of these. Mm -hmm. So there's this understanding that when people are um, naked, they're, they're vulnerable. You know, they're vulnerable to the elements, to the temperature outside. They're, you know, um, in, in a sense, uh, a least of these. And so 
one of the things that Christians are called to do is to provide clothing, assistance, help to people. The same thing happens in this parable of the Good Samaritan. There was a man going by the side of the road and he was attacked. He was robbed. He was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten up and left for dead. The notable and the religious people walk on by. They don't do a thing to help him. They don't lift a finger because then they would become ritually unclean in helping a naked person and they would then have to go and go through some purification steps so that they could go about their life. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time for that. They didn't have, you know, <laughs> nobody got time for that. Um, anyway, the Samaritan stopped and helped him. Somebody who should have been his enemy. He got him to a place where he could be safe. Likely, he helped this man get bandaged up and to get clothing. The Samaritan was the good neighbor that we're all commanded to be by God. And so one of the things that we need to do in thinking about nakedness is to start also in the New Testament trans, um, uh, transferring our, our mindset from this is being a, a negative bad thing to this is a vulnerable thing and this is a person who needs help, right? Uh, they're hungry. They need food. They need uh, water because they're thirsty, and if they're if they don't have clothes, if they don't have resources, we are called to share what we have uh, with them. So, you know, the New Testament sort of tracks a different story uh, about what it means to be naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the ultimate story, uh, moving on through uh, the New Testament. Uh, we think about Jesus. Mm. Uh, Mark tells us in his gospel that uh, they crucified him and divided his clothes and cast lots for them to decide what each would get. And so, you know, we're reminded that Jesus died naked. Mm. So uh, add to the injury, the horrible injury of crucifixion, uh, the insult and humiliation of nakedness. You know, what better way to expose a criminal who fancied himself as king than to uncover every part of his suffering body? But as God always does, God uh, uses what is bad for good. Uh, What the Romans meant for shame, we see in a different way. We see God's naked love for humanity. Hmm. And, and you think about that, that this was an effort to humiliate and torture the Son of God. And in a sense, at the same time, this is a moment of self-giving love that we could never imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, was, he was naked. And he was there and, and vulnerable and open. And so the gift was, was his body and his blood, his love and his grace. Hmm. You know, as we're starting to sort of think through all this, um, Adam and Eve are created and put in this garden. And nakedness was not, in a sense, a state as much as it was a way of being, that they were, they were, as we had said, open and transparent and, you know, 
mm-hmm. completely authentic with one another. And sin made nakedness a sort of embarrassment and of shame. But now we can maybe see it as a gift. Maybe not for ourselves, <laughs> but in the form of a naked Savior who exposes the full extent of God's love for all of us. You know, God was naked and felt no shame and restored us all to him. In much the same way God offered the skin of animals to Adam and Eve, so he invites us each to be clothed with Christ. Think about that good Samaritan and the, you know, the person who had no clothes, who was given mm-hmm. clothing. You know, we're naked and vulnerable. We are unable to save ourselves. And, and what does Paul say about, you know, becoming baptized? You know, that we're being clothed in Christ. Um, it takes time to understand the full extent of the new gift of being clothed in Christ. Um, because it's not like normal clothes. It's something different. In fact, you know, we, we've talked before about baptism and how many of the people who go through baptism mm-hmm. would get naked yeah. <laughs> you know, they yeah. would in the early church. In we don't do this now. <laughs> <laughs> but in the early, early, early church, uh, yeah. they would take off their clothes at the Easter vigil and they would go down into the water and the, the, the leader or the priest would baptize them and they would come out of the water and be clothed in a white robe, mm-hmm. you know, signifying that they were a part of the, the victory of Christ, that white was a sign of victory and, you know, a beautiful moment. Um, and so for, for us to connect with that, that we are literally being clothed um, with Christ, in Christ. And, you know, that is, that is the gift of a loving God who died for us, who became naked and vulnerable for us for the sake of clothing us in his mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. to become part of his family and to never uh, be naked again. Well, wow. <laughs> risque topic, but at the same time, it uh, leads to such a powerful message yeah, for us to understand. Yeah, a new way to think about it. Yeah. Well, before we end today, we're going to uh, kick things back over to JT and Stanley for one more set of words. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hand Sanitizer. Kills more than 99.99% of germs and leaves your hands feeling soft. Try Hand Sanitizer today. Well, Angel, this was a... Um, Interesting and somewhat complicated topic today, but I think, you know, we did come to a place where we see the loss of innocent nakedness through sin. We see that there is a part of that that we need to recover in terms of our relationships with God and others to be vulnerable and uh, to be authentic and everything. But then we also see Um, that we are clothed with God's grace and love and that we are on our way to restoration, that, you know, he does provide us with all that we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, a a good picture, I think, for us is is thinking about that little boy who puts on his father's shirt, you know, and it's way too big for him in the moment. But uh, over the years, he, he grows into that shirt and life in Christ, is like that. Uh, life in Christ is one of growing up into this new reality, into these new clothes, these baptismal clothes, right? Until it, it fits us. Um, 
Yeah, we were rendered naked and afraid. And what does a naked sinner need but a naked Savior? We are clothed by the self-revealing, self-sharing, hold-nothing-back love of God. How blessed we are. Amen. Well, we hope to see you next week. Take care.